This podcast is a product of the 4th and Inches Network. A podcast network designed to keep Husky fans up to date on their favorite programs around UW. Enjoy the show and go dogs. Go dogs. Go dogs. Welcome back to another edition of the Dog and Duck Show. My name is Warren Maynard. I am the dog. With me, as always, is my co-host, Mark Schmore. He is the duck. And uh, both teams come out of the weekend with a W. The dogs looking forward to a much-awaited bye. The ducks are looking ahead to a few potential uh, wins and then preparing for the dogs. But before we get into all that, how are you doing, my friend? Warren, it was uh, it was just a Saturday of joy from start to finish, uh, from six in the morning when I turned on College Game Day till midnight when I finished rewatching the Oregon game, and I'm still living off that high. Five days later, I'm just uh, immersed in the the positive fumes of uh, of Saturday's uh, thrilling win for the Oregon Ducks. So I am I am excited to be here with you. Well, let's talk about that. We'll we'll talk about the the Ducks win at UCLA. Talk about the Dogs win. Uh, well, at home against UCLA, uh, we'll talk about the Dogs win on the road against Cal, and then we can look ahead and talk about um, what what Oregon's going to be preparing for this weekend, and uh, maybe what the Dogs are going to be uh, looking at heading into the bye week. So. Uh, Ducks, you know, win a very impressive showdown against uh, undefeated UCLA, 45 to 30. Mark, what did you see in this game? Well, gosh, there's lots of places uh, one could begin, Warren, but I think um, the place that I'd like to begin is there was a key stretch in the second quarter where the up to this point, the teams had kind of been trading possessions. It was 10 to 10. And Oregon, uh, Bo Nix, who played a phenomenal game, probably the best game of his career to mm-hmm. this point, he threw a perfect 50-yard bomb to Troy Franklin, hit him perfectly in stride just as he was entering the end zone. Ducks take a 17-10 to 10 lead, and then they come out and run the surprise onside kick, which gave them another possession and then they score off of that. And all of a sudden a tie game is now a two touchdown game. And it felt like from that point on UCLA never seriously threatened again. And that call to run an onside kick immediately, every Oregon fan was saying, Dan Lanning just pulled a chip Kelly. Mm. Like that's what was so incredible about that moment is I, I actually remember chip doing that in a similarly, you know, uh, anticipated matchup with, with Stanford when it was Andrew Luck and Jim Harbaugh and, and, you know, this highly powered Stanford team and Oregon needed to figure out a way to steal a possession. And they ran a surprise onside kick, got the ball back, scored again, and totally changed the momentum of the game. Dan Lanning pulled a chip Kelly on a chip Kelly team. Mm -hmm. And it, it really completely changed the texture of the game from that point forward. And I think is one of those, one of those things that is just going to kind of be 
forever remembered in duck lore like the way that we remember dennis dixon faking a statue of liberty and scoring against michigan it's just kind of one of those things of of you know duck fans are going to be able to remember oh you remember that onside kick that lanning called against against chip and uh that was just just a window into what kind of the the thrill of this game was which was seeing oregon check all of the boxes play all of the right notes and and beat a really good UCLA team in a really satisfying way. Absolutely. And I I can't emphasize enough. I think this is a really good UCLA team. I picked them to win last weekend on the show. I wasn't surprised that Oregon won at home against UCLA, especially like you said, with Bo Nix perhaps playing the best game of his career. You know, if he had had an off game you know, maybe UCLA comes out with the W, but with him firing on all cylinders, with everything else working in their favor, onsides, kicks, you know, special teams, uh, great, great win. So, Mark, if I if my memory serves me correctly, um, Oregon was six and one last year, right? Is that is that correct? Uh, well, yeah, they were eight and one last year yeah. to start the year. So, so they, yeah. they start off, they start off six and one, you know, so six and one this year compared to six and one last year, what is the difference in the way that you feel about this team compared to last year's team at six and one? Feels totally different. Uh, totally different. For one thing, uh, the loss to Georgia is completely in the rearview mirror because it was the first game and there hasn't been any real hiccup since mm-hmm. then whereas last year that the lone loss came to to a bad stanford team in really agonizing fashion and it was after they had already played their best game of the year by beating ohio state it felt like mm-hmm. last year's oregon team played their best game of the year the second week of the season and for the rest of the regular season you were kind of wondering where is that where is that team they're kind of chasing that high yeah, and, and yeah. a lot of their games against kind of average opponents, they were just kind of having to gut out these close wins. You know, we're, we're going to talk about the Cal game. Last year, the Cal game for Oregon came down to a goal line stand on fourth and goal on the, on the last play of the game uh, to survive that game. Uh, this year's team feels like they are getting demonstrably better every single week. And this this was the best game they have played uh, – offensively I think because of the caliber of opponent I think it was also the best game they've played defensively because of the caliber of opponent and some of the issues that we've seen them have getting off the field on third down or or slowing down a really good passing game those have been real question marks for this Oregon defense and they they answered that challenge this this week in in a really uh impressive fashion and so I think there's an excitement amongst the the Oregon fan base for this year's team that there wasn't there last year, just because there's a thought of what if this team keeps getting better? Uh, whereas last year it was kind of, why can this team not become the team that we saw in week two? Right, yeah. And I, I mean, we talked about this off the air, but it does feel like right now, Oregon is this snowball that has been gaining speed, gaining size, gaining momentum. And they feel pretty unstoppable right now. Do you do you think that they could, you know, run the table from here on out? I I mean, I think every game from here on out is a winnable game. Uh, and I think that that 
the team is playing at a really high level. Like my favorite stat from the UCLA game, Warren, was that there was a point in the fourth quarter when UCLA hadn't punted and they hadn't turned the ball over and they were trailing 45 to 23. Mm. Think about that. How hard is that? You haven't punted, you haven't turned the ball over and you're trailing by three touchdowns. Um, And that's how it kind of felt where it was like UCLA is not necessarily doing anything wrong. It's just Oregon is doing everything right. right. And so when you see a team kind of put together that kind of a game, it's hard not to at least kind of, yeah, you look down the schedule and you're like, I like our chances. I like our chances. At the same time, here's what I can tell you. One Oregon team in the history of Oregon has gone undefeated through conference play. That was the 2010 team, uh, Chip Kelly's second season. And there have been, I counted up since the 94 Rose Bowl team on, there have been nine different Oregon teams that have had a single loss in conference play. So a lot of really good teams, and it's been in every era, there was the Rich Brooks team, there were the Bilotti teams with Harrington, it was the Chip Kelly era and the Helfrich era with Mariota and Mario Cristobal's team with Justin Herbert. Like Oregon has had all of these different special teams, special quarterbacks late in the year, kind of making a run for a playoff spot or a national championship berth or, or a Rose Bowl or whatever it is. And then they have a hiccup. And oftentimes that hiccup is, you know, on the road to some unranked opponent or at home to a really good opponent in, in the biggest game of the year or whatever it is. And so as much as I would love to say, yes, I think Oregon's going to run the table, I would say history tells me that we're probably due for a heartbreak at some point. Like, and it's probably going to come in that stretch of like Washington, Utah, Oregon state, where those are what three of the top five teams in the PAC 12 this year. And so three of the top six. And so uh, it's going to come, you know, it's going to come somewhere uh, in there. One would think, but I'm going to go into every game thinking it's not going to come today. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, that's, that's the way like, like, I mean, how, how can you not, with the way this team is playing, how can you not just talk yourself into them winning the next game? Absolutely. So, Mark, any other takeaways from this UCLA game that you think um, is going to kind of influence the way this team, you know, performs moving forward? I think one, one takeaway that I would have, uh, this was maybe the most encouraging sign to me in kind of putting this team in the context of like the history of Oregon. If you think about Oregon in the Chip Kelly era, these dominant teams um, that really beat teams with, with speed and with scheme. And sometimes when they needed to rely on physicality, um, it wasn't there to the same degree. There was a point in the second half of this game against UCLA when Oregon basically just needed to kill the clock and pad the lead and, and keep UCLA from going on a run. And first they had an 88 yard drive right before the half. That was very methodical. Then they come out after the half, they force a field goal and then they go 15 plays, 82 yards. They ran the ball almost every down. They converted multiple fourth downs on the ground and it was just kind of this, like, it, it felt like watching like Wisconsin or somebody, you know, where you're watching one of those teams that really just kind of has this identity as like a power running team where it was the offensive line asserting their will. It was like 
they'd line up two running backs behind Knicks and one of them would throw a block for the other one running through the hole. I mean, it was just this physical, hard natured style. And that's this style that, that Mario Cristobal always kind of talked about bringing about at Oregon, but I don't think we ever really saw it fully, you know, reach its potential under mm-hmm. his, his coaching. And this, this was the most, um, most significant, I think, that we have seen that uh, at Oregon in, in quite some time was just a um, an imposing of their will upon the game that was that was really encouraging to see because so much of of the other kind of theatrics with this team have been this creative play calling from Kenny Dillingham and and Bo Nix hitting receivers like you know hitting Franklin in stride fifty yards down the field you know, it's, it's been kind of this high, high octane mm-hmm. offense. And to see them get in a place where they're like, we're just going to run the ball down their throat and we're not going to be especially creative about it. We're just going to do it, it even when they know it's coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really satisfying to see. They were running the damn ball. It sounds like. <laughs> yes. Well, the, certainly- the ducks uh, are in the driver's seat. They're, they're number one in the conference now. Um, undefe- the only undefeated team left in the conference uh, in terms of conference play. Uh, the Huskies, however, are still digging out of a hole, starting off their, their you know, conference play one and two, uh, but come away with their first road win of the season against Cal, uh, 28 to 21. Doesn't sound that impressive, but for most Husky fans, any win against Cal on the road over the last few years just is a, a massive sigh of relief. Yeah. We've had some some doozies of uh, games, and when I say doozy, I don't mean it in a good way, but just in the, wow, that was terrible to watch. And uh, this was a good, it was just a good, solid game. Um, Huskies are now six and two, which makes them bowl eligible the first time uh, that they'll be bowl eligible since uh, 2019, which was Chris Peterson's last season as the head coach. Six and two for the first time since 2018. And um, Michael Penix continues to lead the way, uh, putting up uh, 374 yards, throwing for two touchdowns. And uh, gets his eighth 300-yard passing game uh, of the season. And uh, Mark, miraculously, perhaps this is a a sign of of some positive improvement, or it could be just um, the fact that Cal is one of the worst offensive teams in the Pac-12. But they managed to hold Cal scoreless for the first half of the game, which felt like a dramatic improvement from what they we've seen the last few weeks. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I, I wonder how Washington fans like the typical Washington fan, you know, you kind of mentioned, Hey, in recent history, if we win at Cal, that's a win. Yeah. And, but I also know that sometimes when your team is averaging 40 points a game or something, and they have a game like this, that's close down to the wire because the offense can't really get on track that sometimes there's some frustration, but I, I had a friend who's a, a Beaver fan, an Oregon state grad. And of course they're looking forward to playing Washington here soon. And he texts me and he says, is Washington really this bad? And mm-hmm. I, I texted him back and I said, I think it's just a, a matchup thing with Cal. And I brought up in 2018, 
Cal beat Washington 12 to 10 in 2019 mm-hmm. Cal beat Washington 20 to 19. I mean, these low scoring kind of grudge match games have really been the history of this. So I think for Washington to, to flip that and go down there and, and play one of those low scoring games, but actually still manage to put together 28 points and, and never really feel like, I mean, I never really felt like Cal was going to win the game, even when it was yeah. close. No, so, and I mean, you know, it, it was a low scoring game, but it was a totally different type of low scoring game than some of the ones that you referenced because the Huskies were moving the ball up and down the field. The right. first three drives they get into, you know, within scoring distance and settle for two field goals, settle for a third field goal attempt, miss that. So instead of being potentially up 21 to zero, they're up six to zero. Right. Going into halftime. And then to start the second half, Penix leads three touchdown drives in a row to, you know, put them up. They they convert a two-point conversion. So those three touchdown drives put them up 28 to 14. And you know, they managed to to hold on long enough to to get the win. But you know, the offense was only sputtering in a few key moments when they got close to the end zone. And some of those were just a little bit random, like a, a drop from a normally reliable, you know, pass catching running back, um, you know, some really bad penalties and just some, you know, like one call that uh, we had, you know, a touchdown was called and then it was called back because of a supposed, you know, a screen block type of a, a call. So I think in, you know, the coach Grubb talked about it later this week and he just said, you know, according to my understanding of the rule book, that wasn't a, a penalty, but you know, what the, what the, the, the ref saw m- led him to make the call. Um, so I think, you know, it could have been a very different game and that's probably true, you know, in almost every game, but in this case, it wasn't that, you know, I don't know if your buddy was actually watching the game or if he was just looking at the score, but yeah, I, don't, I don't think he was watching it closely. I think it was but just I, seeing the score and saying what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. If you saw the, the, the team moving the ball up and down the field, you would know that they were clearly the superior team, but favor was not on their side, especially in the first half. Uh, you know, so Mark, just a few things that were encouraging for me, because there certainly are some continue to be some glaring weaknesses on this team, but um, they got five sacks again in this game. Yeah. Um, and so that actually now for the Huskies, like they've got, they've got a good, good front seven to put pressure on. They really do. And as a result, uh, you know, the, the Huskies are, leading the Pac-12 in sacks now with 25 sacks for the season, which is actually places them as number five nationally. I think with Jeremiah Martin, Braylon Trice, and ZTF, you've got a trio of pass rushers that that have really become pretty formidable over the last, you know, five or six weeks of the season. But, you know, in addition to that, um, they're, they're – they're leading the Pac-12 in rushing yards per game in terms of, you know, the least amount of rushing yards per game. So 
what's the problem? Well, we all know what the problem is. It's these explosive pass plays yeah. that are, you know, the result of not being able to contain the the wide receivers down the field or make tackles once they make catches. And so, you know, I think the 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 encouraging part of that is you know that if you can fix this one thing that there should be a dramatic improvement on this defense yeah going into the bye week and we'll talk about that a little bit but but you know can the huskies solve the problem of giving up long pass plays over the last four games of the season and if they do this could be a team that surprises people and maybe goes three and one potentially even four or no, but, you know, putting them in a position to really, you know, finish the season on a really high note. Yeah. Well, and I, I would have said going into the game, I would have said if, if Cal has any shot at kind of pulling the upset or, or making this really difficult for Washington, then they have to get a superlative game from Jaden Ott, who is their, you know, running back, who has put up some really phenomenal numbers this year. And if I'm looking at the box score here, I'm seeing that Washington held Ott to what 14 carries for 36 yards. I mean, that's uh, yeah, you know, to have that kind of a start, 14 carries for 38 yards. I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, that's, that's really, really impressive work mm. by, by that front seven. In addition to the pressure they're putting on the quarterback, you know, to have that kind of an impact on a game on, on one of the elite running backs in the conference, you know, that bodes well for them the rest of the season as well, I would think. Yeah. And I mean, uh, another thing that bodes well is the fact that Cam Davis is leading the PAC 12 in rushing touchdowns. So you know, as much as the the attention has been rightfully given to Michael Penix and Roma Dunze, uh, Jalen McMillan, you know, Penix continues to lead the the Power Five in in passing yards with uh, just a little under three thousand passing yards. Roma Dunze's first in the Pac-12 with seven hundred and fifty-six. Jalen McMillan's third with six hundred and eleven. But there is a a level of balance on this offense that you know that cam davis has been able to put up these rushing touchdown numbers and he's certainly i would not i would never say that he's one of the top four or five backs in the pac 12 but it's evidence that this husky team does have the capability of running the ball especially in the red zone to get those key scores when needed and i think that is going to be what it's going to take to beat in Oregon State, who's got a pretty strong defense this year. And yeah. then, of course, to be able to keep Oregon on its heels. And, and even Washington State, they've got a good defense this year. So, you know, we don't want to be that one-dimensional Mike Leach team that got abused by the Huskies year after year. And the only way we can do that is if we have that running game to balance it out. That's that's well said. Um, do you want to transition now and talk a little bit about the buy and kind of what your your thoughts are with that as as Washington's going to have some time here to to work out the kinks before the home stretch? Yeah, I think um, you know not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but like I said, the Huskies are six and two, and you know 
both of both the Huskies and the the you know the Ducks, they've got a really di- dynamic quarterback who is putting up some pretty historic numbers within their team and within this conference. Uh, it's really remarkable when you think about how much of a change the the quarterback play in the Pac-12 has you know transformed over one season, but. And Michael Penix and and Bo Nix are right up there at the top of the conversation. So, you know, I I texted this to you the other day, but to me, it's a it's a big if because beating Oregon State is not going to be an easy task for the dogs, although playing them at home on a Friday night should help. But assuming that they do get past this Oregon State team. And assuming that Michael Penix continues to do what he's done over the first eight eight games of the season, you know, say puts up 350, 380 yards passing and three touchdowns, um, he's going to be heading into this Oregon game, I would think, um, with a lot of confidence, potentially the Huskies back into the top 25 again, and, you know, perhaps a little bit of a dark horse for the Heisman. And then I think you, you've got Bo Nix, who's continuing to build his case, assuming that they win their next game, which they presumably will. They're going in seven and one. The Huskies going in uh, seven and two. Um, that's going to be a pretty hope, high profile game, not only for both teams, but for both quarterbacks. Yeah, and of course, by by talking about it in these terms and by speculating and just kind of assuming that we're going to win until then, we're both probably doing our teams a disservice. But but the, the jinx, but, yeah, yeah. But it, but no, I mean, I think it. Oregon State is a real challenge, but I think you're right. Friday night at home, coming off a bye, you've got to feel like that that puts the Huskies in the best possible position to kind of come out of that with a win. I think for Oregon. Um, you don't want to underestimate a team on the road. You, you don't want to underestimate Cal based on the recent history, but it would seem like for Oregon, the way they're playing now, to take care of Cal in Colorado seems like a manageable request, but just based mm-hmm. on what they've done the last six weeks. So if we had said at the beginning of the year, hey, when we meet November 12th, Ducks are going to be 8-1, and one, Huskies are going to be 7-2, and two, I think both of us would have signed up for that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, and so now to be kind of at the place where we're a couple weeks away and, and the roadmap is there, mm-hmm. uh, it that excitement will only build if if yeah. both both of these teams can can just kind of add victories in the meantime. Yeah. So what do the dogs need to do to get there? I think one thing is obviously they've got to take this week to get healthy. Um, you know, the defense was obliterated against Arizona State, which was clearly the black spot on the season thus far. Um, Losing to UCLA on the road was disappointing, but not devastating. Losing to Arizona State on the road to their backup quarterback, that was, you know, that was shameful. And so, but at the same time, we talked about that defense was really, really, thin on that particular day yeah since then asa turner has come back uh mish powell got playing time at defensive back he'll be presumably fully healthy 
come Oregon State. Uh, you know, Alex Cook and uh, Cameron Fabiculinen, you know, both continuing to, to get more and more healthy. And then, uh, you know, the real interesting wild card, and there's, I don't have any insider information on this, but most people were expecting that Edifuon Ulifosio, uh, middle linebacker for the Huskies, would be back by the beginning of November. So if he can step back into that rotation with Cam Bright, who, to be honest, has struggled at times this season, and with Carson Bruner and with Alfonso Tupatalu, who's had a really nice season, and Chris Mould, a transfer, who seems to be really beginning to find his place on this team and understand how this defense uh, is you know, best suited for his strengths. That's a that's a, a major addition to this team. Ulifosio uh, graded out two years in a row as the highest graded linebacker in the Pac-12. Um, so if he can come in and step into at least a partial playing role to help supplement and bring some stability and some leadership into that spot, that could be a major, major uh, addition for the squad heading into really, I would say, arguably the toughest three out of four game stretch over the, uh, of the season. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking about the, the schedule that Washington's got here, where I think coming out of that Arizona state game, because of just the depletion of resources in the secondary, there was kind of some, some concern about, you know, how quickly certain guys are going to come back and how glaring, this issue is and then kind of looking at how the schedule is played out if you needed to buy yourself a month before you played a team like Oregon this is kind of how you would script it is you play an Arizona team that isn't really capable of slowing down Washington's offense at all and then you play a Cal team that isn't really capable of testing those that secondary downfield in the way that most teams in the Pac-12 are Cal just doesn't have that in their Mm -hmm. arsenal then you get a bye to to kind of rest up. And then you get a home game with the crowd energy against a good Oregon State team, but an Oregon State team that tends to win with physicality. They're not necessarily a team that's going to be, you know, throwing 40 and 50 yard lasers, you know, all over the field. Right. Like they're gonna, they're gonna ground and pound it a little bit, you know. And so this is kind of, I think, of a favorable stretch in that it it does give Washington a chance to kind of figure some things out on the fly. And it seems like they're doing that. It seems like, you know, they've, they've kind of stitched things together in the back end there for the most part. And, and, you know, if they can get some guys healthy now over the next two weeks, uh, this team, you know, might still be pretty formidable. Yeah. And it just, it, it makes that loss to Arizona state all the more painful knowing where we're at now and knowing what could be, ahead of us if things you know kind of come together our way but like you said at the end of the day if if we go into the week against Oregon seven and two I think most Husky fans would would have taken that before the season and we haven't won in Tempe since 2001 so I mean this was obviously the year that we could have and should have done it but it's not like 
that's been a gimme game every year that we we dropped you know that's that's always a tough game for whatever reason but i think yeah going into the bye getting healthy you know having a great game script for the the Oregon State game you know normally they they script out the first series maybe they take time to script out you know two series the first of the of the first half and the first of the second half whatever that might be but um take advantage of that extra time self scout and then really let's finish the season strong yeah so what about the ducks look you know I'm I'm trying to remember who are they playing this weekend? They've got the Cal Bears who uh okay. you know Washington just gave us the blueprint. So yeah. So I mean there's not a lot of intrigue there but any you know thoughts and any concerns or are you feeling like this is a a slam dunk? No, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's a slam dunk. For one thing, the last 2 years this game has been really close. I mentioned last year Oregon at Autzen they needed a goal line stand in the final possession to beat Cal. Uh, that was the game famously where uh, Austin started booing and it was un- not clear whether they were booing the coaching staff or booing the quarterback and, mm-hmm. and Mario Cristobal kind of got on him the next week about it, about how kind of classless that was. Um, and then the year before 2020, the, the pandemic year, Oregon lost at Cal 21 to 17, didn't score in the second half of that game. So kind of similar to, to what we've talked about with Washington and Cal is Oregon does have this recent history of these low scoring games, you know, Justin Wilcox Mm -hmm. as a defensive minded coach. That's one thing that he's been able to do pretty well in his tenure at Cal is, is put together formidable defenses. And I think there's also some history here, Warren, where, you know, I mentioned the kind of the challenge of going undefeated in conference play. The only Oregon team to run the table in the regular season was the 2010 team. And that team's toughest game was against a very normal Cal team that Oregon had to pull out a 15 to 13 win. The game swung on a, on a punt return by Cliff Harris. Uh, The offense was totally handcuffed all game long. And so, you know, you, you can't take, can't take these games for granted. You know, I think we kind of took that Arizona state game for granted a little bit for the Huskies and and look what happened um i think we both still are probably going to take colorado for granted it's hard not to yeah uh, but cal took colorado for granted and, and got beat so right um, so i think you know uh i'll i'll feel better if i see oregon just put together a really strong first quarter you know i tend to feel like after the first quarter so i can kind of sense where the trajectory of the game is is going but if oregon comes out and gets an uncharacteristic three and out and then follows that up with a turnover and all of a sudden they're down 14 to nothing. I'll start pacing around. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, the Huskies will be taking the, the weekend off. So I probably will be taking the weekend off from watching football as well. In fact, I'm actually going out of town this weekend with my beautiful bride. Um, So I will not be catching up on all that till probably Monday of next week, but Mark, let's, let's skip ahead and talk a little bit about um, the game week of, of the Husky uh, Husky versus Ducks. You know, this is a unique experience because you and I, along with a handful of other dudes 
are going to be heading down to the game. And, um, you know, we, we've chatted about this a little bit offline, but I think for this being the dog and duck show, it seems to me like we may have to do two podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like a before and after, is that kind of what you're thinking? That's what I'm thinking. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, we've got, so, so maybe just kind of give a little breakdown of the, the demographics of dog and duck uh, of this group that's going to be getting together for uh, you know, the game in Odson in two weekends. Yeah. So there, there are going to be six of us, I believe uh, there'll be six of us attending the game, five of us staying in the same house. And, and the breakdown of those six is there are three Husky fans and three duck fans and so uh now the husky guys have have been on the pod before we've had our friends jj and jake on this podcast mm -hmm. at different times so faithful listeners might might remember their names um but with those two guys in particular i think i've attended every oregon washington game since 2017 you know mm -hmm. i think going back to like the willie taggart era uh, I mean, we've been doing this now as an annual tradition that has just kind of grown in terms of how many people have participated and, and everything like that. And so uh, this is the first year, though, that there's an equal proportion of duck to huskies. You know, it mm. started out, I was the lone duck, and then another duck came on, and now we've got, we've got an even ratio. So, um, so that creates a, a little different uh, dynamic in, in the house, for sure. Yeah, so I'm going to propose that what well, we do for that week, and we'll have to work out the details and make sure we get everybody on board, but I'm going to propose that that week before the game, we have all six guys on there. We have a panel discussion about the game, make our predictions, and then if we can get everybody um, to you know calm themselves down enough to compose themselves to, to join us for a recap of the game we'll we'll have a panel where we'll you know we'll talk about what happened out there and odds that that should be a lot of fun uh so stay tuned for the so are you we we record the panel but then we we save the recording until after the game and so it's not like we're dropping it before the game it's we're hanging on to it and then people after the game can listen kind of of the predictions ahead of time to see how right we were. That's a, that's a unique idea. I was actually thinking that we could, you know, cause I think we're heading down on Thursday. So You're two, two separate pods. I'm thinking, I was thinking two separate pods, just like yeah. 35 minutes pregame and then 35 minutes on Saturday evening. Post -game. Okay. And, um, you know, just let emotions kind of run amok on on air and see see what what happens well that could be very interesting i know that uh, <laughs> i know i know uh if it is not a favorable outcome for the ducks it will be very hard for me to compose myself for a podcast immediately following but uh but i would do it for the you know for the listeners absolutely well hopefully you'll handle things better than uh, Devonte Adams leaving the stadium, and you know there won't be video of you 
pushing JJ down the stairs uh, on the on the way to the restroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, we'll save more conversation for that to, at a later date. Let's wrap things up. Mark, any final thoughts? No, I'm uh, I'm once again, Warren. The week following a big victory is just kind of this euphoria that just kind of sets in and so i can't tell you how many times i've i've texted buddies or looked back at the highlights or just kind of savored in the afterglow of uh of this win over ucla but it's it's a it's a great feeling and yet uh we gotta we gotta get ready for the cal bears gotta turn the page that's right well hey one other piece of dog news i forgot to mention huskies today signed a 2024 quarterback recruit local a kid named EJ Kamenong, a three-star kid, but uh, sounds like he really wanted to be a Husky. And man, if you're a local kid playing quarterback, why would you want to go anywhere else as long as Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb are calling the plays? Because uh, this is a quarterback's dream scenario. But uh, good, good news for the dogs. And uh, we'll keep you guys tuned in to everything else happening, dog and duck news in the days ahead. But with that, uh, for all my dog fans, go dogs. And for all my duck fans, go ducks. We'll catch you next time.